Grace and peace to you from our triune God. Amen. Their voices were hushed. They didn't want to disturb the moment. They followed behind their teacher in relative silence as they journeyed up the path. He had chosen the three of them to journey up the mountain away from the rest of the people. And he often did this. He would often escape the crowds for quiet time away. And then they finally made it to the top of Mount Tabor, and they all sat down. And Jesus began to pray as his disciples sat nearby, listening. And as time went on, they began to feel drowsy. This might be a good way to think of prayer, as a journey following after our teacher and our Lord. We follow through thickets and woods, valleys and mountains, deserts and plains, often unsure where Christ is leading us. But sometimes, like the disciples, we proceed in hushed voices. As we realize that Christ is leading us where he chooses for a very specific purpose. But sometimes after such a prayer journey, we feel exhausted. We begin to feel drowsy, and prayer itself becomes difficult. We might even find ourselves nodding off in the midst of a prayer. But just as their eyelids were about to close in slumber, the disciples saw Jesus change. Blinking, they rubbed their eyes, not sure of whether or not they were seeing was reality. They really weren't sure what it was they were seeing. Sure enough, as they gazed on, Jesus' face was changed. His dusty, dirty clothes became a dazzling white, with uh, whiter than any new-fallen snow. And before they could say anything, then Jesus was joined by two more figures, Moses and Elijah. The three men began to speak. They were saying things about Jesus' departure, his exodus at Jerusalem. Perhaps knowing that they were witnessing the divine glory, they were witnessing firsthand the glory of God. Peter blurts out that he, James, and John should build dwellings for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And, And that's part of the problem, isn't it? So often when we become aware of God's presence with us, we never want to leave it. We can empathize with Peter here. I know I would want to stay in the radiant light of Christ's glory forever. Wouldn't you? One of the first truly powerful prayer experiences that I had wasn't until I was actually a graduate student at uh, CCM at the University of Cincinnati. And as I was down there, um, I was attending a small uh, Lutheran church uh, just outside of Cincinnati. And it was my first experience ever of an Ash Wednesday service. Not unlike what we'll offer in just a few days here. Um, It was the first time that I truly felt the presence of God. It was a mountaintop experience for me even if it wasn't a somber one, um, or even if it was a somber one. I, I've had other experiences like this since, but I remember 
the power of that first moment. I didn't want to wash those ashes off my forehead. I didn't want to wipe away that outward sign of God's presence with me. Have you ever had a moment in prayer or worship that you wish just would not end? You could practically see God. Maybe such a time wasn't necessarily in a moment devoted, a moment of devoted attention to God. Maybe you became acutely aware of God's presence as you watched the magnificence of creation around you, maybe in a sunrise or a sunset, or maybe as you felt a gentle breeze and were reminded of the Spirit of God hovering over the waters or of the Spirit gifted to us at Pentecost. The truth is that God is never absent from us. God's glory is all around us um, if we are but awake to the possibility of experiencing it. Our world consistently points us to the glory of God, but we're often too busy to notice. And when we do notice, we don't know quite how to respond. And it's in the midst of our fumbling responses that God ends up speaking. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they, were, they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. Just like that, the experience is over, and it's as if nothing ever happened. Jesus looks like he did before. No radiant face. No dazzling white clothes, no sign of Moses and Elijah, just Jesus in his dusty, dirty clothes, ready to lead them back down the mountain. We don't particularly like coming down from the mountain, do we? It means we're headed back to the routine, to the ordinary, to what feels decidedly less sacred. It means we encounter the dirty, messy realities of of this world. But our, as we... but our ministry is to enter in to the midst of these realities to be with those who are suffering on the next day when they had come down from the mountain a great crowd met him just then a man from the crowd shouted teacher I beg you to look at my son he's my only child Suddenly a spirit seizes him, and all at once he shrieks. It convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, you faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon dashed into the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. This kind of ministry is in our DNA, not only as Christians, but as Methodists as well. 
Yesterday, many of us around the world marked John Wesley's death, and he died on March 2nd, 1791 at eight, at 78, words are hard, at 87 years old, having logged over 250,000 miles on horseback as he preached more than 40,000 times, published roughly 500 works from books and sermons to tracts and pamphlets as he spread his take on practical divinity across England and North America. He couldn't have done that, but for the grace of God, and he was committed to this ministry. But what all of this doesn't tell us is how the people called Methodists would go into the slums. They would go into the tuberculosis hospitals. They'd go into places of rampant disease to minister to the poor and the marginalized, the hurt and the um, ailing. And we are spiritual heirs of his work and this thought of a man who often went up on the mountain to pray but we was absolutely willing to come down from the mountain into the slums of England and the colonies of North America, ministering to those at the established Church of England in his time refused to acknowledge. Our tradition is full of successes like this, but also failures, celebrations, of the th- celebrations and things that we'd rather not have to acknowledge in our history. Wesley himself, had many such failures that we'd rather sweep under the rug ourselves. But most of the time, we acted because our faith in Jesus Christ um, that compelled us to follow down the mountain into the mission field as we labored as the hands and feet of Christ. As the people called Methodists, we continue this valuable, vibrant tradition to this day. We continue to experience transformation by God's grace as we approach his presence in prayer by attending to all of God's ordinances as we hope for personal and social holiness in our world. We're now at the doorstep of Lent. In just a few days, we'll begin a season of preparation marked by introspection and discipleship. It can feel like a journey into the wilderness but we know that our God is present on the mountains, but especially in the wilderness of the world where we minister to the beloved children of God who are lost and hurting. May we follow Christ into just that wilderness as we faithfully keep watch in prayer. Amen. Amen.